Today I will be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 32, verses 32 through 34. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Church, if you've got your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, please, as we continue in our series through this incredible book, series that I'm calling Life Matters. I don't know how you feel about your prayer life going into 2018, but it's an area of weakness for me. I don't mind telling you that. I never feel as if I pray often enough, and rarely do I feel like I have faith enough in my prayers. But I'm at my worst, I can tell you that, when it comes to praying in the morning, before my shower and my first cup of coffee. And so I've made it a practice to pray scripted prayers over spontaneous prayers then. Now, most of us, I think, are pretty familiar with what I would call spontaneous prayers. They just simply involve praying words that flow in the moment. Make it up as you go. But I'm not very good at that in the morning, and so often praying spontaneous prayers meant I didn't pray at all. And so a few years back, I started adopting a historic church's other means of prayer, and that's called scripted prayers. Now, I've included one of those on the back of our uh, uh, Gospel of John reading for this month. It's one that God laid on my heart several years ago that's helped me, and if it helps you, great. Jesus, help me say and do what makes me an influence for you. You lead, I'll follow. Now, there's sometimes when I'm about to head into a set of circumstances that I don't know exactly what to say, and I could always say that. Please, help me say and do what makes me an influence for you. You lead in this moment, in this elders meeting. You lead in this conversation that I'm about to have with my wife or my kids. You lead as I walk in here to get my hair cut because I don't know what is needed here but you do and I've prayed those prayers on many occasions and on other occasions sometimes I'll just pray a section of scripture that's close to my heart that I know connects with what's going on in my life at the moment that's a scripted prayer the words that I need when I don't have the words for my own well both of those types of prayers fit I think what we've known for centuries as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel he says Pray like this. And then he records the Lord's Prayer, which I think opens up a door for all of you who choose to offer up only spontaneous prayers and really don't want to mess with scripted prayers. Jesus says, pray like this, though, or actually he says, pray this in the Gospel of John. Matthew says, pray like this, but Luke actually says, pray this, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And so for over 2,000 years, many of us have repeated that prayer because Jesus asked us to. So most of the days, my morning starts this way. Hit the alarm. I'm going to lay there for a couple of seconds to let the cobwebs kind of clear and get my bearings, make sure I really am in bed still and I'm not floating somewhere in the house. And then as I kind of get my, myself together, I start off every single day pretty much the same way. This is a day you've made, Lord. Help me to choose joy and find you in it. And then I start, my Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day everything I need for the bread for any occasion. Forgive me for my sins so that I can help forgive others who sin against me. 
And don't lead me anywhere in your temptation, please. Lead me away from it. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. And the church said, amen. Every day I start my day that way. And I think you probably notice that about 90% of that is the scripted version. I try to make it personal as often as I possibly can, but, but I don't mind just plain, praying that simple scripted version to start my day. Now, later in the morning, I usually get to my office and around 8 o'clock, if I'm not there yet, my alarm is going to go off on my phone or I'm going to see the prompt in my email on my computer. And it's simply going to say, pray for girls. Now, you've known me well enough to know probably who those girls are in my life. Gail, my wife, and my two daughters, Tabitha and Lauren. Now that they're married, I've also included some guys in that, but it's still the prompt hasn't changed. Pray for girls. And because I pray for them every single day, and I usually do spontaneously, with spontaneity, just how the words come out, how they flow. There's been a time in my life when I've just said, God, well, what do I pray for these girls? Yes, I, I want them to be healthy. Yes, I want them to be wealthy. Yes, I, I want them to arrive safely at their destinations today as they go to teaching schools and, and as they get to the, 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 the training center, the Texas, whatever the, the guys and the girls are doing. I want them to be healthy. I want them to, to prosper. But that's not the ultimate goal that I have. That's not the ultimate desire that I have for my girls and the guys that have become so close to me. And for you, who become so close to me. What I ultimately want is for my girls and my guys and this family to know Jesus. I know that can be a real bumper sticker. I know that's expected to be heard from a preacher in his desires and his wants for those that he's talking to, living before. But I mean that closely, I want you to know him. Relationally, I want you to know him. Intimately, I want you to know him. I hope my, my girls and my guys and my family truly have a relationship with Christ that is extraordinary. Our mission statement is so much more than just something that's stuck out on a board out there or appears occasionally in some of our um, bulletin articles or is heard occasionally through teachers' classes and through this sermon. I want you to know him. Now, I don't have a clue what challenges lie ahead for my girls or my guys or for you, what triumphs are ahead that you're going to enjoy or hardships or times of wonder and amazement 2018 is going to hold for every single one of you. I don't know. What's ahead? But my prayers are still the same. And that is that you know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that you make Him known in the world. In this series that we're calling A Life That Matters, I think that matters. And I think overall that's the focus of this entire Gospel of John. And if I had to liken it to anything, I would liken it to breathing. Breathing in, which is symbolic of abiding in, remaining in Jesus. Breathing in the blessings of Jesus for ourselves. And then breathing out, which is symbolic of being sent out, of going out. And breathing out those same blessings that I have received so that others might be blessed by Him. We see this breathing in and breathing out in our text that we're about to read today. And I've highlighted some of the words that speak of breathing, that speak of abiding, that speak of remaining, that speak of connecting. And I'm going to ask you just to note them as we read them together. And then I'll come back to them in a few moments. 
Here's our text. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him. But the reason that I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself, I didn't know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, I have seen and I testify that this is God's one and only. God's chosen one. Let's pray. Father, the Kerrville Church of Christ, along with Zion Lutheran Church, have a passion to come to know this one that we know as Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're asking that you would come alongside and breathe on us through your Holy Spirit and his word, through your Holy Spirit and his person, to help us look a little bit more like him when we leave today than we, than we did when we walked in. That's the desire of all the disciples of this community. Please hear our prayers and help us live that out. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Did you note the words in yellow a few moments ago? I'm going to put them back up on the screen if you didn't. The words in yellow come from the Greek word meno. That's probably not going to make your morning this morning. It's just a four-letter four word, meno. If you had the King James Version years ago, it would have had the word abide there. But in a lot of our texts, it's going to say remain or stay or connect deeply with. That's what the word means. It's a, it's a small four-letter word, but it's full, full of meaning in John. See, John noticed that the Holy Spirit came and he maynoed with Jesus. He abided with Jesus. He remained on Jesus. He didn't fly over him momentarily. He connected with him. He stayed with him. He remained with him. And then later the disciples are going to ask Jesus, where are you may-knowing? Where are you abiding? Where do you connect with people? And Jesus is going to say, you come and see. And so they went and they connected with him and they remained with him and they stayed with him. And it wasn't just a visit. It wasn't just a drive-by conversation. They connected with him and they weren't about to leave him. That's the beginning of the focus of our text for this week. Breathing in Jesus, connecting with Jesus, finding our identity in Jesus, and then breathing out, helping others to connect with Jesus. I think John the Baptist is probably one of the greatest examples of this. And John lifts him up in our text for this morning and in our reading this week. When Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist has a ministry that literally has brought him celebrity status. He's on the cover of every Jewish tabloid. People are flocking to him. They want to follow him. They want to listen to him. They want to mimic him. Maybe not necessarily dress like him, but they want to be like him. And yet even before Jesus arrives, the baptizer says, Now, appreciate this, but I'm not the voice of the one you're really looking to listen to. But I am a voice who's been called to prepare the way in the wilderness. But the one who's coming after me, he's the one and only. He's the chosen one. 
Well, John actually meets Jesus, and he breathes in Jesus in a very special way. He has the honor of baptizing Jesus with his own hands. He sees the Spirit fall on him. He breathes all of that in, and it so impacts him that he begins testifying about it, telling others about it. Listen, you think this is great? There's someone here who's greater. Abide in him, follow him, mano in him, remain in him. Now, this is the same John the Baptizer that we meet in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they give us so much more background about this John the Baptizer character than John does in his Gospel. Luke tells the story of his mother and Zechariah the father. You remember Zechariah's wife? Elizabeth, absolutely, I knew you would. Incredible story about them being barren. Zach going up as a priest working in the temple one day and he finds out he's going to have a child. He's going to have a boy. Even is told what he's going to name that boy. And Zach's not buying in on it. And so God makes him mute. Can't speak. But the day when that child is born and it's a boy and he begins to speak, the name that God gave him, all of a sudden that tongue is loosed in a miraculous way. And in that moment... Zechariah prays what we know as a benedictus that this son will be used to proclaim the way for the Most High God. That's the John the Baptist of the Synoptic Gospels, though. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And through them we learn of this prophet's strange apparel, that he's looking all maniac in his camel hair suit. We learn about his crazy diet, locust and honey. Yum, you ready for lunch? It's crazy, this guy, John the Baptist. Well, we don't get any of that in John. We don't even get the fact that, that when Jesus comes to him to be baptized, we don't get the words, wait a minute, I, we got this wrong here, Jesus. You ought to be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. No, all that comes in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the Gospel of John, the baptizer has one role. He's a voice. That's how he describes himself. He takes us back to Isaiah chapter 40 and says, remember where the prophet promises there's going to be a voice that's coming to speak up and speak out and prepare the way for the Lord? Well, that's me. He's the one and only. He's the chosen one. But I am the voice that he has sent ahead of him. I am not the way. I'm just a voice pointing to the way, preparing the way for the one and only to come. Look at some of these passages with me here in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 6. There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. And he came as a witness to testify. Verse 8, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 15, John testified concerning him. Verse 19, now this is John's witness about him. People ask, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Well, then who are you? I'm the voice. I'm asking you to open your eyes, open your ears, open your lives to the one who will change your life. You don't have to live in the fog anymore. Jesus, the light is coming. He'll burn off the fog. He's the one and only you've been looking for, not me. If you had to have a visual of John the Baptist's ministry, here's what I think it would look like. It's a giant finger pointing. He's a giant index finger pointing. We talked about signs last week. John was just one of those Jesus signs in this Gospel of John. 
There's a lot of Jesus signs in John's gospel. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. It's because they're not the end. And we humans tend to make an end of those signs when we read them. But, but John says, no, 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 they're, they're like any other sign. Not a lot of value in the sign itself. It's what they're pointing to that matters most. John's just one of those signs. So in chapter 1 and verse 26, John says, I'm not even worthy to be honest, to even untie his shoelaces. So please, look to him. Okay? Verse 29. We read the first of two times where Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you pick back up on the significance of that. At the crucifixion of Jesus, while the lambs are being slaughtered for Passover, Jesus is being slaughtered on the same day of preparation. Because he is the ultimate Lamb of God that John wants us to see. He's the new exodus of God's story. John says, look at, at him, not me. And we're going to skip over to chapter 3 because I'd like to put all of the, the John references here in one lesson as we go through this series. Let me set the context for you. Jesus and some of his disciples in John 3, it's right after that conversation with Nicodemus. Well, they're baptizing in a river. And John's baptizing not far from there in that same river. And then all of a sudden, an argument arises about, what's he doing over there if we're doing this here? Verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And so they came to John and said, Rabbi, speaking of ceremonial washings here, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan... That fellow you testified about, look, he's baptizing. And everybody's going to him. What's up with that? To this, John replied, listen to me, a person can only receive what's given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I have said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. Let's see if I can illustrate it this way, John says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. We all get that. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Well, fellas, that joy is mine because I'm, I'm just the best man here. And it's a complete joy. He must become greater. I'm telling you the truth. He must become greater so that I can become less. I think it's a pretty good mission statement for a church. If we had to take that board down out there with what we have on that for the Kerrville Church of Christ mission, I think we could just simply probably put that one up there. Put it on a bumper sticker, put it on a bracelet, simply this, KCC, striving to make more of Jesus and less of us. Would that work for you? Yeah, I think it would. KCC, Kerrville Church of Christ, striving to make more of Jesus and less of us. In a word... That's not how you'd brand something in America. And branding is big here. Competing is big here. That mission statement won't make sense to most of our culture here. Because in this culture, if you want to become more, that means everybody else needs to become less. Which is why I think John's words grabbed my attention and I think grabbed yours. Because taking the less road over the more road, we just don't see that much. Bob Feller was arguably the best pitcher in baseball during the peak years of his playing with the Cleveland Indians. When he was a 17-year-old farm boy in Iowa, listen to me, he struck out eight members of the touring St. Louis Cardinals in just three innings. 
Cleveland Indians said, we need this boy to pitch for us. And so he did. But they had to obtain special permission from the commissioner's office because he was so young. In his first professional game, he struck out 15 batters. No wonder they nicknamed him Rocket Robert or Bullet Bob. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1962. His career included 266 wins, 12 one-hitters, and three no-hit games. When Pearl Harbor was attacked in 1941, however, Feller had just completed his first season in the majors, and he was expected to dominate the mound for the next many years. But he was one of several professional athletes from that era who suspended their careers for the sake of serving their country. And he enlisted in the U.S. Navy, became an aircraft gunner aboard the USS Alabama, and came out of that war a highly, highly decorated veteran. But those four years of voluntary service for his country cost him probably, those who know the game of baseball well, 80 to 100 wins, not to mention strikeout statistics that would have put him at the top of all pitchers in baseball personal fame, considerable personal wealth. It cost him all of that. And yet asked years later if he regretted those four years from baseball to his wartime service, here's what Bob Feller said in a prompt, unambiguous reply. Do I regret it? Absolutely not. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. That was not one of them. I hear from some of you in this room almost every week, maybe not from your lips, but from someone who's watching you and seeing you move through the lives of the people known as the Kerrville Church of Christ. I hear of you spending less time listening to a message here so that some in this room can spend more time listening to a message here. And you take that time and you go invest it into children's church so you can point those kids to Jesus while this ragamuffin's trying to do it here. And I just want to say thank you for being less so that somebody else could have more. I watch men and women settle for less in their personal times of recreation and rest to lead kids on mission trips and to teach them how to serve more in places that aren't very nice usually, pretty demanding. And I just want to say thanks for becoming less so that in other folks Jesus could become more. I just watched you a few moments ago as I'm standing at the back back there watching you reach in and take out some of your very own money. You don't have to give. Nobody's mandated that. But you, you've decided to live with less and spend that less on maybe something you need. Or maybe something that's a luxury that you, you have every right to enjoy, but you decide to live with less so that other people out there who don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe like you do, can have more. And I just want to say thank you. I noticed that. I'm so glad we have kids who are being birthed into our family that we could rally around them and gather around them and say, yes, we will. We'll do our best to, to point you to this word that we've come to know, this one and only we've come to know. Yes, we will do our best to try to live out what that means in our lives. We'll breathe in those words with you, and we'll try to breathe out so that you'll be convinced that he really is the way, the truth, and the life. 
I think a lot of you would say, I made a lot of mistakes in my life, but living with less so that others can have more of Jesus is not one of them. Amen? Just like John the baptizer. You're not interested in your brand either. You're just interested in the brand of Jesus, and I appreciate that so much. The baptizer said, if you want to make a big deal about somebody, then you make it out of that lamb, this son of God who is the lamb of God. And it's my joy, it's not my frustration when, when some of my disciples start peeling off to follow him. Now that's kind of strange for our culture as well. I'm not sure that would, that would work with many of our egos. I'm not sure it would work with mine. What do you mean? You think he can help you grow to know God better than me? What do you mean? He offers more leadership for your life at the moment than I do? John says, yeah, that's me. He wants to see those that he's brought along complete what they've signed up to know, and that is God, as he can most fully be known. So John, the gospel writer, goes into detail, and I love this. I'm, some of us, sometimes I've read through this, this gospel chapter one, and we, we get to how the disciples are called, and we kind of get lost in some of the details. But I'm grateful that he shows us how this happens, this breathing in of Jesus and this breathing out of Jesus, this breathing in of the blessings and the knowledge and the experience of Christ in my life and breathing that out on folks so that they could have the same experience and chance and opportunity of life. John continues to use this word meno that we talked about a little bit earlier as he talks about how disciples are made. Andrew's the first one. Simon Peter's brother. How'd you like to have that moniker attached to your name? Everybody knew Peter. When this gospel is finally written around 70, 80 AD, everybody knows Peter. He's Peter, the one that Jesus was going to build his church on. He's Peter. Day of Pentecost, Peter. He's, he's Peter, the one who preached the first gospel sermon to Cornelius and the Greeks. He's Peter, the one the early church is built on. Everybody knows Peter, and so Andrew gets identified as Andrew, Peter's brother. But I want you to notice how Peter came to faith. John breathes out on Andrew. And then Andrew's impacted. He... Manos. He remains. He abides. He connects with this Jesus. And he's so overwhelmed with what he's finding here. He says, i got to go talk to Pete. Pete, come on. This one who's the Messiah, I'm telling you, I found him. you got to come and see. And so I just want to remind you, church, when you measure all that's going on in your life because of Jesus Christ, because of Peter, remember how Peter heard. Because his brother Andrew breathed in this person of Jesus, and then he breathed him out so that he might know him as well. Verse 30, 43, Philip comes next. Jesus himself invites him to come. But he doesn't ask Philip to agree with him. He doesn't ask Philip to accept any series of propositions. He just invites him to follow him. Come on, to be his disciple, to be his, his follower, to be his student, and Philip leaves to connect with Jesus, and he has the same response Andrew did. This is incredible. It's too good not to share. And so he goes and finds Nathaniel, and he says, this, We found the one that Moses spoke about, the prophet that was to come. Here, come and see him. 
And I love the details of this. And I think in a, in a holy book that's going to point people to, to following a holy God, why would you include stuff like it? Well, because it happened. Just normal people stuff. Nathaniel hears that from Philip and goes, well, where's this guy from? And Philip says, Nazareth? Wrong word, Nazareth. What in the world good could come out of Nazareth? Now, it's kind of funny coming from um, Nathaniel because he lives in Cana, which is not exactly a bustling metropolis, all right? It's a couple of miles down the road. But I'm guessing they're football rivals or something. Nazareth, what, what in the world good could come out of that? And he just simply says, come and see. Come and may know. Come abide. Come and see. And so that's exactly what Nathaniel does. He shows up. And I would have loved to have been here for this one. Hey, fellas, fellas, can I have your attention? The guy walking through the door there, that's, that's a true Israelite. Someone in whom there's no guile. Now, some of your versions would say deceit. Probably that's a word that you may have used this week, but I doubt if you used the word guile unless you were talking to one of your kids about the text that we were reading. And one of them said, what's guile mean? Is that like um, the flu? Some version of it? Is, can that be fixed with Pepsi AC? No, it's, it's deceit. It's, it's lies. And this man, Nathaniel, spoke the truth, was authentic. And Jesus points that out, and Nathaniel responds, How in the world do you know me? And Jesus says, Well, before Philip invited you to come, I saw you sitting under the tree. And like Gomer Pyle, he says, Golly, you must be the one then. And Jesus says, Wow, that tripped your trigger, huh? You stay with me, buckle your seatbelt, because what you're about to see will make that look like nothing, Gomer. Because very truly I tell you, verse 51, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, we know we're back in an Old Testament story here. Jesus chose that word guile because it was a very famous word in an Old Testament story that involved Jacob because Jacob was a man who was full of guile. Nathaniel may have been authentic and truthful. Not Jacob, not from the Old Testament. That guy was full of guile, but in that story... This ascending and descending of the angels, that's Genesis 28. And I promise you, as well as these boys knew their word, knew this Bible, they knew the connection there. That what Jesus was saying is, listen, you stay connected with me, and you're going to see some heaven movements, some God movements, some amazing things you've never seen. They saw the connection there, and we see it. But Bethel would not be just some place in the Bible. A ladder would not just be something that moved things up and down on. No, that ladder, that Bethel was Jesus. He was the one who was connecting heaven and earth. He was the one that made it possible for, for anyone who is full of guile to still know that there is a God and He loves you. That's chapter 1. And I think it's easy to read stories like we've just walked through and to say, well, Jimmy, that's all interesting, but those are sacred people you're talking about. I know for a fact that St. Andrew and that's St. Peter and that's St. Nathaniel and that's St. Philip. And they eventually became that, but not at that time. 
They were just somebody's peeps. They were just some ordinary Joes. Actually, they were ordinary Andy, and Pete, and Phil, and Nate. But listen to me, church, every single one of them was invited out of their ordinary lives into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. They're invited to connect with Jesus and breathe him in. And three years later, they're challenged in to breathe him out, to go and help others connect with this same Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. John the Baptist does it. He testifies to Andrew. Andrew does it. He testifies to Peter. Philip does it. He testifies to Nathaniel, all breathing out this incredible Savior that they've met. And the whole world, listen to me, starts to change. Breathing in and breathing out this Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I hope all this breathing talk doesn't sound like a Lamaze advertisement, okay? I realize there's some possibility of that. But I hope it's more like how you follow Jesus advertisements. Because it really is that simple. I didn't say easy. But it really is that simple. It tends to be us people who make it more complicated. So I don't know how this message finds you, but did you notice there were no prerequisites to any of these guys belonging, following this Jesus, getting started with this Jesus? Because he will welcome any of you right where you are. He will. Did you notice that you can belong before you believe? And that's why we invite you to do just that here at KCC. You come to our community groups. You come to our services. You come to the Bible studies. Even if you're not sure that this Bible is the Word of God. Even if you're not quite sure this Jesus is the Son of God. You just come along. Hang out with us. And you know what? If this Word isn't lived in our lives, go somewhere else. Okay? But I think getting to know these people, you're going to see. You're going to see when you breathe all of that in, what you're breathing in is life like you've never had before. And there's going to come a day now when Jesus is going to say, all right, you've hung around long enough. Are you in? Are you ready to breathe in? Are you ready to welcome me into your life? Are you really to make, ready to make me Lord of your life? Are you ready? Because if you are, what that's going to mean is less of you and more of me. Ready to do that today? Only the second weekend of 2018 would be a good time to start. You've been hanging out here and getting to know some of these folks and they've been loving on you and you go, all right, I, I, I am ready to breathe him in fully. To allow him to change my heart and my life like like I've not done before. If you're ready to do that, you come find me here in a few moments. And brother or sister, if you can look back to a time in your life where you've done that, and yet you know right now going into 2018, life is about more of you and really less of him. He knew there would come times like that in your life. And so that's why he says, it's not based on how you perform with me. It's that you know me and receive me and welcome the grace that I offer into your life. Today, you can draw a line in the sand and say, I'm sorry. 
I've made this more about me than I have him. Would you please help me make a new start today? I receive again his grace. I receive again his mercy. And I receive again his call, not to just breathe it all in, but to breathe it out. That's what I pray for my girls. That ultimately, God, it would be less about them and more about you. That's what I'm praying for my girls. That's what I'm praying for you. God, help us. Father, we come to you this morning just simply asking that your spirit come and move those who need a little nudge or encouragement to either say yes to you for the first time fully or to start over with you absolutely today. And so as we sing this song, it is you that we turn our eyes and our focus and our hearts to. You be more in us and help us be less in 2018. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, let's stand and let's sing, church.